Well, good morning, everyone. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Jason. I'm one of the guys here on the team, and we're thrilled that you're worshiping with us today at Fellowship Greenville. Uh, I know it's probably already been said in, in an array of ways, but allow me publicly once again to say a big thank you to everyone serving in our parking lot and holding doors open for everybody today. Well done. It's not an easy job out there. As I've been thanking people, uh, most of them have looked back at me, and this is what they've said. At least it's not Michigan. Or at least it's not New York. Or at least it's not New Hampshire. And what I've realized is, if you used to live up north, you now serve outside in our parking lot team <laughs> in the winter, which is brilliant on our part. Is that in the application? Do we ask people where they lived ahead of time? Below the Mason-Dixon line or above? All right. Well, you guys are doing great work, and I'm super thankful for you. I do want to say uh, we are so thankful that you're worshiping with us. Um, this maybe sounds a little uh, cheesy, but uh, even in like an intro that I write uh, before uh, getting to the text of scripture that we're going to be in today, I actually do take some time and pray about what it is we're supposed to talk about here. And this is what I wrote this week. I know there are many places that you could be, but you chose to spend time today with other people to be encouraged as you follow Jesus and or to encourage other people as they follow Jesus or because you have questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus and the life that he offers. So no matter your reason for being here, we really are glad that you're here. And uh, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for our time together today that we would make much of Jesus through worshiping together in song, fellowship, and studying the Bible. So thanks so much for being here. Hey, before we uh, jump into our text today, I do want to take a moment and remind all of you that this month of January is something we're calling First Fruits Month. As we look to expand our ministry down the road at Adams Mill, a little architectural drawing for you again this morning. And so many of us uh, have begun to give and or pledge to give financially that we might both create space for those the Lord is bringing to join our church family while also intentionally reaching with the gospel even more of our circle of accountability, our circle of influence right here in this part of the upstate of South Carolina. And as we explained a few weeks ago, many of us, uh, when I say many of us, here's what I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us have pledged to give over the next three years to Adams Mill, above and beyond what we already give here as a part of this church family, to the tune, to the amount of, last time I checked, which was just at the end of this past week, $9.3 million in growing. Yeah, I know, it's so good, super thankful. And the idea behind First Fruits Month is as much of our individual pledge as we can go ahead and give this month will certainly be beneficial as that means less that we have to pay in interest as the process continues to unfold. So we know some of you can do that, so please do. And we know that some of you can't do that, and that's totally okay. Give as you can based on the pledge that you made. I also think that I'll say this, uh, it's not too late for you to uh, jump in, if you haven't yet, and join us. Uh, it, if this is your church family. Like jump in with the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of others who are living open-handed sacrificially through their generosity and the giving towards Adam's mill. Let me unpack that a bit. If this is the place where you would say that you are encouraged in your walk with Jesus, 
where you have learn to understand and apply the scriptures to all of life. If this is a place where you find biblical community, which we'll be talking more about this morning, if this is the place that ministers to your family, to your kids, to your teens, to your marriage, if you consider this place that it has, is, or would provide care for you or your family were you walking through a hard season of life, if this place has shown itself to care about ministries and people locally and nationally and globally that you care about, then I wanna invite you to join with us in some way financially as we look to expand to Adams Mill that others might have the opportunity to grow like you have grown and are growing. And when we say, and we've said it repeatedly, that it's not about a certain amount to give, we really do mean that, but we do ask that all of us that call this place home would sacrificially in some way as the spirit leads be a part of giving to the new work that'll be launching down the road. So if you're interested, again, QR code in the words of my good friend, Justin Maul, where you can get some more information about giving to Adams Mill. Um, or if you've already pledged to do that, that will take you there so that you can begin to do that. All right. This morning we are back in 1 Samuel as we continue our royalty series looking at the life of David. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. As you turn there, uh, just a reminder, last winter and spring, we were in 1 Samuel looking at the life of Saul. This winter and spring, it's the life of David we're examining. And as many of you would know, there's definitely some overlap between these two fellows. Today, I get to some, uh, spend some time talking about Another key figure in this story, in this transition that is taking place from Saul as king to David as king, and that fellow's name is Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son who ends up being David's best friend and confidant. And to let you know uh, where we're headed in our time together today, I'd love for us all to consider a few things in regards to biblical friendship. Like that's gonna hopefully make sense based on what we're studying today. And obviously, I'll go ahead and say it, I won't have time to cover all the aspects of biblical friendship. Like we could do a whole series on biblical friendship. If I don't get to the part that you're most passionate about in regards to biblical friendship, you can send me an email and then I'm gonna respond by saying what I just said. We didn't have time to talk about all of it today, but I'm more than happy to read your stuff, so feel free. If I may... The challenge at times when talking about something like biblical friendship is the quick dismissiveness we bring up in our minds for a multitude of reasons. The reasons could include, I already have friends. I don't want any friends. I'm skeptical about friendships because I've been burned in the past. Or we don't really think well about friendship in a world that is overly connected yet incredibly alone. Could be a combination of any of those things or a lot of other things I didn't mention. I was recently rereading a book entitled Befriend and this author talked briefly about one dimensional friendship, transactional friendship and digital friendship. And there again are definitely more categories that you could come up with, but for the sake of our discussion today and to better set up the conversation we're gonna be having this morning on biblical friendship, let me give a little definition to those terms. Here's the first one, one-dimensional friendship. 
Um, this would be a friendship that exists primarily around a shared interest. And that shared interest could be anything. It could be something you like to do in your free time. It could be your job. It could be educational beliefs or religious beliefs or anything that you are for or anything that you are against. But it's all built around sameness, whatever the sameness is. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It could be, depending on what the sameness is, but there are some good samenesses is, uh, out there. More on that in a bit. So one-dimensional friendship, you might be able to relate to that. It's like, man, you know, it's golf, and I get together with my golfing buddies, and basically the extent of our uh, friendship is golf or underwater basket weaving, whatever your thing is that you're passionate about out there. The second kind that was mentioned is transactional friendship, and that's not, honestly, really friendship. Transactional friendship is all about what you do for me. It's basically using people under the umbrella of friendship. And you can be the one using people or you can be the one being used. And over time, if that's the world you're living in, you will find yourself pretty alone because everyone knows this about you. You might not think they do, but they do. Some people are still just putting up with it. Other people have distanced themselves from you. That might be one way to go, you know, I can't really have any friends. The people I'm friends with, I keep not being friends with, and it's not because I moved or they moved. I just keep finding myself by myself. What would be some indications that you are a transactional friend or I'm a transactional friend? Well, one would be you're a scorekeeper. You're pretty good at keeping score in your mind and then sometimes letting everybody know about the score that you're keeping. A lot of what you would consider your closer friends are short-lived friendships. They are gone. Serving one another is not a part of the regular rhythm of your friendship. Transactional friendship, which really isn't friendship at all. Digital friendship, this one's so, uh, fairly self-explanatory. It's the world we all live in now, it seems. The socials and the friends, likes, hearts, so on and so forth. And we know that while you can connect in some way digitally, it's easy to put on social media only what you want people to see. So it has the potential to just be an edited and filtered us. And here's what we now have, a little something called research in regards to what we carry with us at all times, our little pocket computer and the research is overwhelmingly telling us that while we are more connected than ever, people feel more alone and isolated and disconnected from people. I actually just uh, finished reading a book by Paul Tripp. It's my book of the month for January. It's called Reactivity, and I would like to highly recommend it to you. I like Paul, a lot of what he talks about, a lot about uh, what he writes about. Uh, this one actually is all about how you uh, interact in the digital age with people, which Paul is pretty committed to if you follow him socially on the social networks in any way. Uh, every day he kind of begins the day with two or three gospel-centered tweets or whatever they're calling them these days, kind of go out on the socials. He's talked about how people respond to that and his temptation and how to respond back to that. And I was just thinking with the year that is upon us, I don't know if you know it or not, it's an election year, it'd be a great thing for a lot of people to maybe read before you do anything else. So give it a read, I highly recommend. Again, there's definitely more categories, but for the purpose of this morning, those are a few. And with those sitting there, 
how are we to think about biblical friendship and why is it actually important? Or if I could ask this way, what is essential to biblical friendship? Do you have those types of friends? Are you that kind of friend? And why does it really matter? A definition of biblical friendship that I really like by author and pastor Jonathan Holmes. And again, there's a lot of ways to talk about biblical friendship. But for today, this definition. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Let me give it to you again. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Now, last week, I reminded us that when we're reading through the Old Testament, it's good to remember that we're not the characters in the narratives that we're reading. Yet, at the same time, there are definitely things to learn and process and biblical principles to apply to our lives. So, if you'll remember from last week, you're not David. But we can still talk about courage, which we did, and where true courage is found because of who we are in Christ. And today, just to get ahead of it, you aren't David or Jonathan. But there are some things to learn and process about friendship as you look at their life and as we look to Jesus and why this type of friendship really matters. So let me uh, take a quick minute, because I know we have people joining us kind of all along the way when we're working our way through a book of the Bible, when we're doing a sermon series. Uh, so this is just a real quick recap, if I could. We're not exactly sure how long the gap is between where chapter 15 ends, where Saul is rejected as king by God, and the beginning of chapter 16, where Charlie picked up two weeks ago, where Samuel anoints David as the new king. The Lord tells Samuel to go anoint a new king. Samuel's a little bit scared because Saul might kill him if he hears about it, but Samuel does uh, what the Lord says, obeys the Lord. David is anointed as the new king, and it says in chapter 16 that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. It also says in chapter 16, right after that, we're told that the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and that he was afflicted by an evil spirit. And this is just the beginning of so much contrast you see between David and Saul. Music was often the recommend, recommendation when an evil spirit was afflicting someone back in biblical times. And Saul's servant suggested to, that to him. Saul was for it. Saul says, find me a good musician. Guess who's pretty good at music? Yep, David. He shows up to play for Saul without Saul knowing that David had been anointed to become the future king by Samuel. We're told that Saul loved David and made him his armor bearer slash musician on call. That takes us to chapter 17. That's where we were last week. We talked about David and Goliath. And the story of David and Goliath really is this visible, tangible evidence that the Lord was with David, what we had talked about the week before. It's also a reminder to us that true courage is found in the true hero of our story, and that hero's not us. Now, I didn't make it all the way through chapter 17 last week on purpose because I knew I was coming back to teach this week. So, just real quick, summation of the end of chapter 17. <clears throat> when the Philistines saw Goliath was dead, his head was chopped off. So he was dead, dead, not mostly dead, real dead. 
They took off and the Israelites who had been scared to death, even though they were in the army of the most high God, they found courage because of the one who had been courageous on their behalf. His name's David. And they chased the Philistines down. Do a little study there. We find out they chased them for about 10 miles. So if you're interested for perspective, Adam's Mill, about six miles, and then another four. Personally, I feel like that's a pretty good chase. They killed many of them, then came back and plundered their camp. And David brought Goliath's head that he chopped off, so it tells us in the Bible, back to Jerusalem. Saul says, whose son is this? Now, I don't think it's because he doesn't know who David is, because if you remember, he was the part-time musician on call, armor bearer. But if you remember the deal that Saul made to anyone who would kill Goliath, the deal was this. If you kill Goliath, you don't have to pay taxes and you get to marry my daughter. So whose son is this is a way of Saul asking, whose family does David belong to? David says, Jesse of Bethlehem is my dad. That's the background, chapter 18, verse one. Here we go. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Verse four says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Stop right there for a moment. I hope you see that there in verse five. David was successful wherever he was sent. The Lord was with him. And everybody was loving it. The military might, the winning. They were loving David with the exception of one person. That person is Saul. Saul became jealous. Saul became envious. Now, if you recall, some of you do, some of you don't. If you recall from last spring when we were focusing primarily on the life of Saul, I talked about part of chapter 18 and chapter 19. And my focus, knowing that we would be back here talking about David, was to talk about the envy and the jealousy of Saul. So if you want full context of this whole section, you can go back and give it a listen online. It might be good to primarily because there is this massive contrast between Saul, his jealousy, his enviousness, right? And his son. There's just this huge contrast. I think God owes me something Nope, I actually love the person that God has chosen to be in this place. Jonathan, David, Jonathan and David, their friendship is full of intentionality and vulnerability, the two essential pieces of biblical friendship. Now, when I was growing up in the church and someone talked about Jonathan and David and their friendship, I always thought about it like I think about my close friends, Matt Rexford, Jonathan, David, David, Jonathan. I'm not saying who's who, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> Jonathan and David, actually though, they weren't really close in age at all. 
We know that David was 30 when he became king. We also know that Saul was king for 40 years. So David would have been born around year 10 of Saul's reign. And we know that Jonathan was fighting with his dad in the army during the third year of his dad's kingship. And we also know that an Israelite soldier needed to be at least 20 years old. So hang with me for a little more math. Are you excited? Math, here we go. The 10th year of Saul's reign when David was born would have put Jonathan at at least 27 years old. As in at least 27 years older than David. As in Jonathan was old enough to be David's dad. And we know of Saul's envy and jealousy, but if anybody else had reason to be envious and jealous of David, it's Jonathan who is his senior by almost 30 years. Like don't rush past this because you're familiar with the story. Some of you are familiar with the story. Jonathan is the heir to his dad's throne. He should be what? The future king. Yet what we read here is Jonathan loved David as his own soul. That could be translated, he loved him as much as he loved himself. And some commentators say this language is the metaphor for transparency or vulnerability. Back to our working definition this morning, biblical friendship is built on intentionality and vulnerability. So real quick, you don't have to answer, just think about it. What runs through your mind when you read that? When you think about the words intentional, when you think about the word vulnerable or transparent in regards to people that you're doing life with. It is one of the challenges of talking on a topic like this to 3,000 people. It's 3,000 people with 3,000 different stories and backgrounds when it comes to talking about friendship and biblical friendship. And some of you would give such wonderful testimonies and stories and others of you have been burned and hurt. C.S. Lewis captured the heart of this version of friendship. I wanna read to you something he said. I thought it was so good. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, Safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. If you're looking for an example of transparency and vulnerability, you have to look no further than Jonathan in this moment, who doesn't simply proclaim his friendship for David, but does what? Look back at verse four, if you would. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Again, 
What a contrast between father and son. Both Saul and Jonathan realize that David's gonna be the guy. Saul is envious, Jonathan is humble. At the heart of jealousy and envy is the thought that God owes me something. That's what we talked about last spring. God's holding out on me, God has missed it. God, you owe me. Sometimes you see it not from God, but in the lives of other people and you see in the lives of other people what you think God owes you, jealousy, envy. And at the heart of humility that you see here in Jonathan's life is transparency and vulnerability. And it plays out super practically because he offers David his royal robe. That is the, it's not just like, hey, you need a robe, or you don't have a robe, I got a robe, you want my robe. This is the symbol of his future kingship. It's the equivalent of him taking a crown off of his head and putting it on David's head. And he gave him his armor, not just his armor, he gave him his sword. What's symbolic in giving him the sword? The symbolism in giving him the sword is, you now command me. I mean, how much more vulnerable can you be? I will now serve you. If someone, again, back in the day, if someone is coming after your throne, you put your sword through them to protect your throne, just like Saul was desiring and trying to do. Not hand them your sword. More on the contrast, look at chapter 19, verse one. Today we're gonna be a little bit in 18, a little bit in 19, a little bit in 20. It's all this relationship with David and Jonathan. This is what it says in verse one of chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I'm gonna go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. If I learn of anything, I'll tell you. Verse four, and Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good for you, for he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it, you rejoiced in it, dad. Why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David without a cause for killing David? Verse six says, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things and Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before. Now again, I talked much of it last year but I didn't get the opportunity to talk much about this part of the story. Eugene Peterson, he's a very well-known author and pastor. He said this, I thought it was very interesting. He said at the beginning of chapter 18, when we really get the first picture of Jonathan and David's friendship, and when you get to 1 Samuel 23, that's their last interaction where they kind of renew their covenant of friendship. And Charlie's gonna unpack this even more next week, but what I don't wanna get lost in a familiar story for some of you is what we're currently studying and will be studying, this is the most dangerous time in David's life, right? He's a young guy and he's exposed in that Saul wants to kill him. 
Again, that begins in chapter 18, then again here in chapter 19. And what's interesting is that in the most dangerous time of David's life, we get this picture of a friendship that's actually needed. A friendship that is necessary. A friendship that brackets the difficult and tumultuous season of life. As in, don't wanna overstate it, but I'll state it. The only reason David survives is because of Jonathan. Because Saul's trying to kill him. Repeatedly. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Again, don't know everybody's background here. Don't know your story of friendship, biblical friendship. If you are tempted to be a lone ranger and think that you don't need anyone else, if you are tempted to not invest in biblical friendship because of the past, history would tell us that it's very challenging to attempt to walk through the most difficult days of your life without good biblical friends. That we would lean into those friendships, a friend who takes that friendship intentionally as you take it intentionally. Not just Proverbs 17, 17, the next proverb, Proverbs 18 says this, the very first verse. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Is that a part of your story in any way? If you're a Lone Ranger? It would be the story for some of us. The last verse of the same chapter says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And just the reminder as we look at Jonathan and David's life, you know, these aren't simply a few slogan verses to post somewhere. It's not just advice for some people. These verses prove to be true time and time again. It's true for so many of you in this room today. You could speak to it either way. Some of you, your testimony would be, I isolated myself and my life bottomed out. Others of you, your testimony would be, in the hardest and the darkest of days, I had friends who were intentional and vulnerable with me and I with them, and it meant everything. It's definitely true when it comes to David and Jonathan. Saul attempted, just again, let's review it. Saul attempted to kill David in chapter 18, and then he wants to kill him again in chapter 19. Jonathan talks him out of it. That's what we just read. When you get to chapter 20, David is convinced that Saul is once again after him and trying to kill him. And interestingly enough, Jonathan doesn't seem to think so, which is weird if your dad's actually already tried to kill him several times. Like if he came back and go, I think he's trying to do it again. I don't know that the response would be, I doubt it. It should probably be, I bet he is. So they come up with a plan in which they can tell of Saul's uh, desires because they didn't have phones. They couldn't text one another. Yeah, I was just in the room. He's actually trying to kill you. So they had to come up. Technology is a wonderful thing. Someone were after you. Anyway, <clears throat> they come up with this plan where they can find out what they need to find out. 
And really without having to talk to one another anymore, Jonathan and David, David can get away, he can escape. And you can read all about that in chapter 20. But there's just a few verses that I wanna read in chapter 20. This is what it says after they find out the information that they need to find out. Verse 40 of chapter 20. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed three times and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose, departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I just thought it was interesting, like even here in a very small but significant way, that you actually see the intentionality in their friendship. What do I mean by that? Well, like I said a moment ago, the way they had everything set up was so they didn't need to see each other again. David could have and probably should have just taken off so as not to get caught by the guards. And just like Jonathan had been vulnerable in the giving of his robe and his sword, you see David, what does he do? He bows before Jonathan three times. That is, back in the day, a sign of respect and admiration. And we are reminded of the covenant made in regards to their friendship. I don't know if you picked up on it here, what I just read. There is the commitment, not just of their friendship, but also the commitment of their families moving forward, which I get to talk about in a few weeks. I'm excited about it. If you read on in 1 Samuel 23, you see them once again renew the covenant of their friendship and they part ways for the final time as things continue to play out. And so just like last week when we talked about David and Goliath, I kind of got towards the end and I looked at everybody and I was like, well, so what? And I'm gonna do the same thing today. So what? What about you? What about me? If there were a few things to be reminded of last week in regards to courage, even though our circumstances and David's are quite different, I would also say there's a few things to be reminded of this week in regards to biblical friendship, looking at the life of Jonathan and David, even though most of us don't have anyone trying to kill us while also trying to be best friends with the person who's trying to kill us, son or daughter. If that is the case, you should definitely let somebody know about that. I think, for, I think for us, the intentionality and the vulnerability in the context of friendship is actually motivated by the rest of the definition that I gave when we began today. So for review, biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ pursue Jesus Christ and Jesus's kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Remember, studying through the Old Testament, what does it tell us about God? How does it point us to Jesus? What does it remind us of about who we are in Jesus? That's the thing. So I'm not asking you today to consider whether or not you have acquaintances or relationships or even friends that you hang out with, talk to, socialize with, travel with, chat with. 
What I am asking all of us to consider is, do we have people that we're walking with that love Jesus? Do you also love Jesus? And together, are you pursuing Jesus and Jesus's kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability? That's the question I'm posing to you. Not if you have friends. I'm not asking if you got somebody you're compatible with. I'm not asking if you got somebody who gets you. You just get me. Okay. Not that those are bad things. Compatibility, great. People who get you, wonderful. I got a few people who get me. I'm super thankful for it. But do you love Jesus and are you pursuing Jesus and Jesus' kingdom together? I've talked about this before. Two of the biggest lies from Satan since the beginning of time is that we are autonomous and that we are self-sufficient. That is being blasted at you and I 24-7. True back in the garden could be the slogan of the world we live in today. Autonomy, self-sufficiency. You don't need anybody. You're good enough. Buck up. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You got this. Positive self-talk, positive self-talk, positive self-talk. And the call of Jesus upon our lives is that we need him. And the way he designed it, we need each other. Jesus speaks to both of these things in John 15. I wanna read some of these verses to you. John 15, nine, Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, get a load of this, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Side note, contrary to what you have heard or think, Jesus says there is joy in obedience. There is true fullness of joy in following Jesus in Jesus's ways. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. What is our, as followers of Jesus, motivation for Jesus-focused, kingdom-minded friendship characterized by intentionality and vulnerability. Like we always say when talking about lasting motivation for true life change, we do it every week. Lord willing, we do it every week. We point you to Jesus. Not Sunday school answer, Jesus. Jesus. We remind one another, Jesus chose you. I remind you today, Jesus is your friend. 
I remind you today that Jesus says right here, love one another. Jesus says how we do life together puts the power of the gospel on display for a watching world to see. So my question for us, with whom are you pursuing Jesus and his kingdom? I've given this disclaimer three different times already this morning. Let's make it a fourth. I know we're all unique. I know that we're all different. But on a practical note, I'm gonna share how I've processed this through the years. Take it or leave it. I'm just letting you know how I think about it. Really into three different groups, categories, mentors, peers, and disciples. Mentors. What biblical friends do I have that are older than me have walked with Jesus longer than me, who will encourage me to pursue Jesus and kingdom things. What biblical friends do I have that are older and walked with Jesus longer than me, who will encourage me to pursue Jesus and kingdom things? Uh, we talk about community here a lot. We offer community for people to be able to step into. We know at times that finding biblical friends who care about the things that you care about in regards to what matters to Jesus isn't always just an easy thing to happen. So we want to provide that as we can for people. <clears throat> when I was in high school, uh, there was a, a gentleman who was a few years older than me who began to disciple me, became a mentor to me. His name was Eric, Eric Vanderplow. And Matt was in that group and a handful of other guys were in that group. He's a pastor now in Moore, South Carolina uh, at Grace Church there. It's a wonderful church. Eric's a good dude. He went all around the United States, like Chicago, Wisconsin, and with all the other Northerners, he came back because that's what everybody's doing. Anyway, a few years ago when he came back to town, Matt and I were able to grab lunch with him, an opportunity for me to say thank you. And it's not just Eric. Because of what I experienced in high school, it shaped me, and this is how it shaped me for the rest of my days. So we can go high school, let's say 18 years old. I'm 48 last 30 years. There has never been a moment or time in my life when I haven't had someone older than me who's walked with Jesus longer than I have that I haven't asked to speak into my life and remind me of Jesus and kingdom things. I pray that's not because I'm a pastor. I pray that's because I follow Jesus. Peers, who are the people my age that are my friends who will encourage me to pursue Jesus and kingdom things? Jason, does, if you're married, does your spouse fall into that category? Absolutely. I pray that's the case for any and all of you that are married, that together you're following after Jesus, kingdom things, intentional, vulnerable. But I also pray that you got people that aren't your spouse, that that's true of relationship that you have with them. Again, just my experience on my phone, it's a group thread, it's called The Guys. It's Matt Rexford, it's Kyle Estep, who I pastored with for, uh, I don't know, 15, 17 years at Summit Church, and Jeff Coppins. 
who attends church here. And Matt and Jeff and I have been best buds since high school. And there's an intentionality there. This Bible reading plan that we have, it's not because I need to find some, like, if there was no Bible reading plan, these would be the guys that were still texting me and I pray that I would be texting about what I'm hearing from the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Who do you have this your age? Gentlemen, particular. Who do you have this your age with which you are being intentional and vulnerable in pursuing the things of Jesus and his kingdom? But Jason and I, yeah, I know. And when I say I know, I know in that I've heard most of whatever's getting ready to come next. Not dismissively. I'm not saying it doesn't count. I'm not saying your past doesn't matter. I hope you're hearing my pastoral heart in what I'm saying. But as I read through what Jesus says, I cannot find anywhere where he says, unless it's been really bad in the past, then never mind. Pierce. Lastly, disciples. Who am I discipling? Who's around me that's a bit younger than me? And I'm encouraging them intentionally to pursue Jesus and kingdom things. We talk about that around here a lot. Discipleship matters to us. This August, something's a little teaser. This August, something's launching called FG Disciple. Just keep your ear to the ground. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, who do I have in my life that I'm being intentional with? Who am I being... Eric, like, I'll be Eric. Who's younger than me to disciple and walk with? Now, we hear all of this today, and there's a couple of different things that some of you are thinking. I'll speak to them really quickly. Some of you are saying, Jason, I've got those people. And if that's you, that's awesome. Be intentional with them. Here's what I mean by that. How about you write them and you thank them? As I've been teaching today, if you're just going, well, I've got this person and I've got this person. Or, I've got one person or I've got five people. If you got anybody that you're intentional, vulnerable with, encouraging you to walk in your walk with Jesus and to pursue kingdom things, let them know that in some way, shape, or form. That might be the most practical takeaway for you today. If you're here and you're going, Jason, I don't have those people. Not to overly oversimplify it, but would you begin to pray that the Lord would provide those people? Would you step into the opportunities maybe to begin, if this is your place, to meet those types of people? And most importantly, would you continue to look at Jesus who, because he gave his life for you, what did he say in chapter 15? I chose you. And if you're looking for the greatest model of intentionality and vulnerability look no further than what Jesus has done in making a relationship with him possible, which we get to celebrate this morning as we take communion together. So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes and allow me, if I may, to pray a prayer over you that I actually discovered this week by a pastor by the name of Scotty Smith. Super thankful for Scotty. He's a great dude, loves the Lord. He's always putting out some gospel-centered thought. He wrote this prayer, and I want to close our time by praying it over us today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, today I am particularly thankful for the gift of friendship, especially with you. 
Jesus, you are the friend who sticks closer than a brother. You are the friend who made yourself our servant in life that you might make us your friends for eternity. You are the friend who laid down your life on the cross that you might lift ours up in glory. There is no more faithful friend than you, Jesus. There is no richer friendship, no deeper intimacy, no greater joy, peace, and comfort than that which comes to us through union with you. And you are so immeasurably generous with us. Everything that you have, you've made ours, including the friends that we get to walk with through every season of life. So I praise you for the kind of friendship shared between Jonathan and David, for friends with whom there's no need to pretend or pose. No need to qualify every joke or eliminate any emotion. Friends with whom tears are as welcome as laughter, confession of sin flows as easily as acknowledgement of weakness. I bless you for friends who provoke me to love and good deeds and don't just provoke me to watch the clock and reach for my keys. For friends who call me out and don't just call me. For friends who can finish my sentences but don't. For friends who equally love to pray and play, work and rest, party and be still. Friends who love hymns, Motown, and silence. I thank you for friends that can enjoy all things without shame and give sacrificially without hesitation. For friends who love the gospel more than gossip. Who love to fish for men and for fish. Who repent as quickly, as easily as they sin. Friends who are sensitive, but not fragile. Strong, but not harsh. Present, but not hovering. Lord Jesus, the bottom line is this. All good friendship simply comes back to you. Only the gospel gives us the kinds of friendship for which we long, for which we have been made. How we praise you for calling us and making us your friends for this life and the life to come. May we increasingly offer one another a taste of the friendship we only have in you. I pray in your loving and impassioned name, amen.